Okay, good morning everyone. We are on the Chaf Amar Alf. One, two, three, four, four lines down. On the Chaf Amar Alf. It's a short daf today, somewhat quick, but very exciting. Very exciting. <clears throat> Says the Gemara, four lines down. Daf Chaf Amar Alf. Amar later of Pabla Abai. So if Papa goes over and he asks Abai the following question, and he says, Maishna Rishonim di Israchesh Luhu Nisa, U Maishna Anand Nisa. How come the earlier generations had miracles happen to them, but we don't have any miracles happen to us? So he says, Let me give you an example how they had miracles and we didn't, because, um, well, he doesn't give that example. Hold on, I'll get there in a second. Imishum Tanui, if you'll claim, that the earlier generations knew more Torah than us, well, we know that's not true, because Bishnei the Rabbi Yehuda, in the years of Rabbi Yehuda, Kulo Tanoi bin Ezekim, all they knew, Kulo Tanoi bin Ezekim, all they knew was the tractates in Ezekim, Bavakama, Bavmetziah, Bavasra, they knew in Ezekim, that was it. Va'anan kamastinan shisisidra. Yet we know all six Siddharma uh, of the Mishnahis. So how, you can't claim that, well, our Torah knowledge is not as good as the earlier generations. That's why we don't get miracles like the earlier generations, because it's not, it's not true. And not only that, but I'll even prove to you that it wasn't just, it wasn't just uh, quantitatively. Maybe you'll argue, well, yeah, you guys learn more, but you guys go too fast. You guys do things, uh, you guys just learn too quick. If you would learn to the same depth as Rabbi Yehuda, you would, uh, that, that would be the trick about how you would get more miracles, because I'll prove to you, we learned at an equal, if not better depth than the earlier generations, because... When Rabbi Yehuda would reach Meseches Uksin, where it says, there it says in the Mishnah, if you have a woman that pickles a vegetable in a pot, or the or the case of where you pickle olives with their in their uh, in their um, with their with their stems. Tahor. There, the Mishnah claims that the stems are tar because, I mean, when we get to Uksin, we'll talk about it over there. I mean, we'll never get there because we learn Gemara, not Mishnahis. But whenever anybody ever gets to the Mishnahis or Uksin, they'll get to it over there. That we know that the difference is because if the if the stem is usable, if you if you eat it with the uh, with the uh, with the with the food itself, then it's tame. But otherwise, if it's not edible, it's tar. And therefore, in these cases, what happened was because the stem was put in the pot, it no longer was edible and therefore and it was not only not only edible but it wasn't usable anymore as a as something to hold the food with therefore it becomes taller because it lacks its uh, importance as a food so that so when they used to hit that Mishnah do you know what Rabbi Yehuda used to say? Rabbi Yehuda used to hit that Mishnah and he would say Amar <coughs> he would get up there he would learn the mission in public and he would say Rabbosai I don't understand this Mishnah in this Mishnah there are questions like the questions of Rabbi I don't get it. I don't understand it. So not only so says so says uh, Repubba to Abai. So he says, but we uh, we have thirteen yeshivas learning uksin. We have thirteen different ways of understanding these mishnayos. So first of all, his point is that if you go. Uh, quantitatively, we learn much more. All they learned was Nazikin. Yet, we're able, we have a broad reach. We know all of the Mishnahis. And qualitatively, our Torah is better as well. Because qualitatively, they would hit certain Mishnahis and they would say, yeah, you're right. We don't get it. We don't understand it. Yet, we have 13 ways to learn the very same Mishnahis that they said they can't understand. 
And now, here comes the actual question. However, who was of the earlier generations, who wasn't as knowledgeable as us as Torah, when they would need rain, he would take off one shoe. That's all he needed. One shoe. That was enough for the rain to come falling when he would just take off one shoe. However, but we in our generations, even though we know so much Torah, and even though we, we put ourselves in great pain and suffering, we fast and we fast and we take off our shoes and we do everything we need to to show sense of mornings. And we yell and we cry and we scream to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't seem to care. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't bring down rain for us. So he says a bai, he says a puppet to a bai, I don't get it. What should be the difference? If it's based off Torah study, our Torah study, usually we know that everything is based off Torah study. The more Torah study you have, the more good that comes to the world. So it says Papa, based off that logic, that off the more Torah study you have, the more good that comes to the world. So we're learning and learning and learning, and we know more Torah than the earlier generations. And if that's true, how come the earlier generations, when they would daven for rain, immediately they would be answered, yet we daven and daven and daven, and no response. So he says, Amr Kamai, the earlier generations, have a Kamasrin They were willing to sacrifice for the honor of God. And because they were willing to sacrifice for the glory of God, God says, You sacrifice for me, I'll sacrifice for you, and I'll bring rain. But Anan, but us in our generations, Lo Masrina It's true we may not know a lot of Torah, but we don't sacrifice ourselves for our Kaddish Baruch Hu. And we'll even show you an example. Like Rav Adabarava, who's of the earlier generations. And you'll see how he was willing to sacrifice himself for the name of God. He saw this non-Jew. She was wearing this karvalos in the shuk, this very exquisite, very expensive uh, uh, type of clothing in the marketplace. Hmm. He, he had the impression that she was a Jew and therefore since she was a Jew he felt it was inappropriate for this woman to be wearing this clothing either because as the Aruch tells us it was not something that is befitting of a Basishol to wear it was something that was not uh, modest and therefore wasn't befitting of a Jew to wear or as the Beis Yosef says it was because there was shotness inside of it and because there was shotness inside of it uh, therefore he had to he had to rip it off whichever way you want to understand the Gemara depending if you live on Meir Sharm or not if you live in Meir Sharm you can understand the Gemara one way if you don't live in Meir Sharm you'll understand the Gemara a different way but you can decide for yourself so the Gemara says suffered the Basishol he understood that she was a Jew so Karit come he got up Karit he ripped the clothing off of her uh, and then it ended up happening. So therefore he was willing. He knew that it was going to be terrible for him. But he said, I don't care. i got to do it anyways. He ended up that she was a non-Jew. So even though he thought he was doing the right thing because she was a Jew, it ended up that she was a non-Jew. So therefore, they ended up evaluating that this dress was worth 400 zuz. And thinking about the Gorong Suvis, it says that a year's salary was 200 zuz. That means this was two years worth of the average salary over there. So Reb Adabrava asked this lady, what's your name? So Amrle, she said, Maton, or Matun, my name is Maton. Amrle, Maton, Maton, 
Uh, he, now, Rashi has two ways of understanding this. Either it means Mazon is like 200, so 200 plus 200. Uh, therefore, I owe Arba Mea Zuzah Shavi, I owe 400 Zuz, or Maton is the language of patience. And he said, had I been patient, I wouldn't have lost 400 Zuz. Had I been patient and known that she was a non-Jewish woman, I never would have ripped it off her. But because I thought she was a Jewish woman, and therefore I understood that I have to sacrifice everything and anything just to be able to make sure that someone doesn't do anything against God. So he said, therefore, I'm going to sacrifice myself to make sure that this woman doesn't wear what she's wearing. And then it ends up being that he owed 400 Zuz and says, abide to her papa. If you want to know why earlier generations get miracles and we don't, it's because they're willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of HaKadosh Baruch. Okay. Now, next more. If that wasn't crazy enough, here comes the next more. Rav Gidol. Rav Gidu used to sit by the place where the women would go to the mikvah. And he would tell them, and he would say, He would tell the woman, this is how you're supposed to go to the mikvah. And he would stand there, and as they would go to the mikvah, he was like saying a shear on the opening of the mikvah, and say, hey, by the way, when you walk into the mikvah, this is what you should do. So Amr the Rabbanan, the Rabbanan said, Are you not scared? Are you not nervous of the Yitzhahara? Looking at women when they walk into the mikvah is a good way to incite the Yitzhahara against you that you may have improper thoughts. So Amr Lahu, he says to them, Nah, come on. To me, they appear like they are just white geese. They don't look like women. They don't incite my Yitzhahara. And therefore, there's nothing about them that makes me, uh, that makes me think that, I, that they will uh, lead me to improper thoughts. And therefore, it says, Rav Gito, I am allowed to sit on the gates of the mikvah. That's where Mother Goose came from. You can use the line all you want. If you get slapped, it's not my fault. Rav Yochanan, Rav Yochanan, have a ruggle to have a cause of Yasef Shardin. Rav Yochanan also sat on the gates of the tefillah. And now what do he say? Omar, Kisokin Benosisro, when the Jewish women come up from the mikvah, the Asimi tefillah, they come up from going to the mikvah, Mistelkin B, they should look at me. Because, uh, this is a Gemara that we saw earlier, Nita, for those who were there in the last cycle, the Gemara says that whoever, when a man or a woman have certain thoughts during relations, so then their child can end up looking that way as well. So the real going to figure this is great. When the, we know that after somebody goes to the mikvah, there is a mitzvah that one is supposed to be with their wife at that point. So at that point, this woman's going to come up from the mikvah. She's going to see me, Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was a very beautiful man, as you've seen earlier. They'll have the thoughts of Rabbi Yochanan in their mind, and therefore they'll go ahead and when they have the relations with their husband, they'll be thinking about Rabbi Yochanan, and therefore those children will look like Rabbi Yochanan. And that's why it says, when they have a zara, the shufri kavase, and there will be children. The children will look as beautiful as me, right? We saw all the way back on that Ham Bay is one of the reasons why one, whoever it was, Rabbi Eliezer, was crying because he said the beauty of Rabbi Yochanan is going to be lost to the graves. So Rabbi Yochanan was trying to come up with ways of how the beauty of Rabbi Yochanan will no longer get lost into the graves because if this is the way it will happen, every woman that comes up from the mikvah will look at Rabbi Yochanan. She'll have Rabbi Yochanan's uh, um, uh, image in her mind when she's with her husband. Therefore, her children will look like Rabbi Yochanan. Aren't you worried about the Ayn Hara, that people are going to look at you funny, people are going to look at you odd, people are going to think that, uh, that, uh, that uh, people are going to give you the, the evil eye. So he says, Amrlu Anamizara the Yosef Kasina. I come from the children of Yosef Atzarik. And the children of Yosef Atzarik, no evil eye can affect them. 
Ben Porath Yosef, a charming son Yosef, which we mean, which says Ben Porat Ali Ayin, a son who is charming on the eye. The Amr Altikru Ali Ayin, it doesn't mean on the eye, Ela Ayin, that Yosef and his descendants are above the evil eye. That's one way. says the that you'll be like fish in the uh, in the in the sea. the water covers them, and therefore an evil eye. You can't affect them with evil eye because you can't see them. So too the descendants of Yosef, the Ainhar cannot affect them. or another way of why Ainhar can't affect the children of Yosef. The eye that did not want to become satiated from that which was not his, meaning even though Asia's Potiphar was pushing him to do something wrong, but he said, you don't belong to me, and therefore I will not benefit from you. Therefore, uh, the evil eye can have no jurisdiction, can have no effect on him. This was Yosef, and therefore Yochanan said, I can sit by the gates of the tefillah and nobody will look at me funny, or even if they do, it won't affect me, because I am one of the descendants of Yosef at Tzadik, and because I'm one of the descendants of Yosef at Tzadik, the, the evil eye has no effect over me. Okay, well that's the end of that. Says the mission. When it comes to women, when it comes to slaves, when it comes to children, they are exempt from they are exempt from putting on tefillin. But women, slaves, and children are obligated to daven. They're obligated to put on mezuzah. And they are obligated to go ahead and bench. Says the Gemara, Krishma. The fact that they're exempt from Krishma, Pshita, that is obvious because we know the rules. The rules are mitzvos esseisha hazman gramihi. It is a positive commandment that is time bound. And the rules are, the rules are as the Gemara condition tells us, because mitzvos esseisha hazman gramadashim peturos. We know women are exempt from all positive mitzvos which are time bound, including Shema. So why, if that's already the rule as given to us in the Mishnah's condition, so for, why would anybody even think that they're obligated in Shema? Shema is clear. Clearly a time bound mitzvah. So the Gordon says, Mauritam, you would have thought, hold the Ispay Malchushmaim, that Shema is such a serious prayer because there is the acceptance of the yoke in heaven in there, and therefore because it's a serious prayer, maybe even though it's true it's time bound, but women should be obligated, Kimashwalan, that women are not obligated in the mitzvah. Women are exempt from the mitzvah of Tillin again, Pshita. Right again, it's a time-bound mitzvah. So the Gemara says, well, you would have thought because in the paragraph of Shema, it says, Ukshartem Uksaftem, that you should tire tefillin and you should write the mezuzahs. So you would have thought there's a juxtaposition between tefillin and mezuzah. And just like a woman is obligated to put up a mezuzah in her house, so too she's obligated to put a tefillin on her arm and her head. Kamash that know that it's a time-bound mitzvah and therefore they're exempt from the mitzvah of tefillin. The chayavim betfila and they're obligated to daven. Why are they obligated to daven? The rachmininu. It is. It's because tefila is all about mercy. Tefila is our way of connecting to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and women as well have an obligation to connect to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So the Gemara asks, well, again, pshita. I'm just adding the box girsa. Of course. Well, what else would you think is going on over here? Uh, tefila is not necessarily time bound. So, since it talks about morning, evening, and afternoon, 
You would think it is a positive command. It's a mitzvah es that it is not a mitzvah because again the Torah rule of davening. Let's say according to the Rambam, because probably the easiest way to understand this more. According to the Rambam, the the structure of tefillah is not a is the the I shouldn't say that the concept of tefillah is a Torah law that that everyone has to daven. But there is no structure like what we have. That is not by Torah law. And the time of it is not by Torah law. So therefore, the Raman will say exactly, this Gemara is trying to say, that a woman is obligated to pray once a day. And that means once a day she has to praise God, once a day she has to thank God, and once a day she has to request something from God. And as long as she does those three things, she, she thinks, she uh, praises and requests, so then she has fulfilled the mitzvah of tefillah regardless of whether or not she does Arshmanes or not Arshmanes or Arshmanes is all rabbinic but the Torah law of tefillah and women are obligated at least once a day is this idea of praise, thanks, request. Uve mezuzah and women are obligated to put up a mezuzah again, pshita, of course what else would you think? Is that time bound? You think, well, we know that in the Parsha Shema, Mezuzah is connected to the idea of learning Torah. And we know women are exempt from the mitzvah of learning Torah. And therefore, since the women are exempt from the mitzvah of learning Torah, you would think so too they're exempt from the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, of Mezuzah, I'm sorry, Kamash, no, they're not. The Chiddush is, and no, Talmud Torah, it's true, women are exempt from learning Torah, but they are still obligated in a Mezuzah. Benching, they're obligated to bench. Again, pshita, of course. What else would you think? It's not time bound. He gives you meat in the evening, and bread in the morning, to be satiated. So you would have thought, okay, well, it sounds like it's time bound. Every morning you eat bread, and therefore you have to bench. It sounds like it's a timeout thing. Come on, show that it's not. Whenever you eat bread, you have to bench. And because whenever you eat bread, you have to bench, it's not time bound. It's totally action bound. And since it's action bound, women are obligated to bench uh, just as much as men are. Why are women not time, I mean, uh, obligated to learn Torah? It's not time bound. Because the Pasuk says, right. right? It's only to your sons, not to your daughters. So women have no obligation to with Torah. Right? Men are obligated to learn Torah. Women have no obligation to learn Torah. So the Torah goes out of its way to tell you that. Uh, only to your, to your son and no one else. What is the sentence? What? Gender? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a Gomorrah Kedushin over there. The Gomorrah Kedushin talks about that women aren't chayiv and Talmud Torah because of all those Pesukim over so, women are obligated to say Kiddush on Friday night. That is a Torah concept. Again, when we make Kiddush Friday night on a cup of wine, the cup of wine is rabbinic. But the fact that we make Kiddush, the fact that we say words which sanctify the day of Shabbos, that is a Torah law. Maybe we've done in Marif, maybe not. But women have the same obligation as men when talking about Kiddush. Now, the woman says, well, why should that be? Am I? Mitzvah says, my Right? Clearly, making Kiddush on Shabbos is a time-bound mitzvah. It's every Shabbos, you have to go make Kiddush. And we know any time that it's a mitzvah shiz mangrama, nashim peturos, women are exempt. So, why should they be obligated to making Kiddush on Friday night? No, 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 it doesn't mean that by Torah law they're obligated to make Kiddush. It just means rabbinically, even though it's a time-bound mitzvah, they're exempt. We say, you know what? Rabbinically, they're obligated.
First of all, we said by Torah law they're obligated. The Odin, if that's true, well then why don't you find that by every time by mitzvah? That even though women are exempt, the rabbis came along and were machmer and said you have to do it. But you don't find that anywhere else, so why would you think that by Kiddush the rabbis would come along and say, even though you're exempt, we're showing up and we're going to say Rechaiv. It must mean that we mean what we said we meant, which is that by Torah law women are obligated in Kiddush. So now you have your problem. Wait a minute, it's a time-bound mitzvah. The Torah says that you shall remember the Shabbos and you shall guard the Shabbos. Anybody who is obligated to guard the Shabbos is also obligated to remember and honor the Shabbos. So women, since they're not allowed to do the negative commandments of Shabbos, they're right, they can't cook, they can't do borer, any of the 39 malachos, so they're obligated in Shmiras Shabbos, therefore, therefore they are also obligated in remembering Shabbos as well, and therefore women have the same obligation as men when it comes to when it comes to fulfilling their obligation on, of Kiddush on Friday night. That leads to a whole bunch of machoksim because there's a big uh, debate in the postcard. If that's true, how does it work? How does it work that a man is able to be yotze a woman's obligation for Kiddush on Friday night? Because according to uh, the Magen Avram, it's a very argued opinion, but let's just take his opinion for a moment. So the Magen Avram holds that when you dive in Marav on Friday night, you have fulfilled your Torah obligation of Kiddush. Well, that means you come home from Shul, or wherever you dive in Friday night, or maybe you didn't go to Shul, but you dive in Friday night. So you dive in Marav Friday night, which means you've already fulfilled your Torah obligation. So by Torah law, you're done. You don't have to do anything else. Okay, the rabbis say you have to go make Kiddush on a cup of wine, but by Torah law, you're done. Now, you want to make Kiddush for your wife. Well, your wife or your daughters, have a Torah obligation to make Kiddush. So you don't, right now, if you look, by the Torah standard, you have no obligation to make Kiddush, and your wife has an obligation to make Kiddush. So if that's true, how could you fulfill your wife's obligation for Kiddush? It's a big question. It's a big problem. So there's a couple of approaches. Either you take the Mishra Ruru's approach, which is, well, you weren't really Yotze Kiddush Friday night in Mark. That's one way to do it. Or Rabbi Kivayegra says that the mitzvah of, of Kiddush on Friday night is just acknowledging the fact that that it is Shabbos. Says Rabbi Kivager, you know what you do when you know what you're supposed to do when you walk into your house on Friday night? After you have uh, the Marv, you walk into your house on Friday night, he says the first thing you're supposed to do is wish your wife good Shabbos because then she'll respond to you good Shabbos back and then that will be her way of fulfilling Kiddush by the Arisa standard because she has acknowledged that the day is Shabbos and then you will both be on an equal playing field that by Torah law you have fulfilled your, uh, your Kiddush obligation and it'll be up to your rabbinic obligation no, nobody here knew why they said good Shabbos to the wife in front of night when she lights candles doesn't she uh, take not really now, she may take a pan Shabbos but she hasn't been Makadish Shabbos she hasn't, she hasn't sanctified it with words she's, words. she's accepted it but she hasn't everyone, everyone Everyone argues on that Rebbe Kivager because they say, listen, that's very nice, but at the end of the day, the woman has no intention to accept Shabbos, to, to be Makata Shabbos at that point. But by saying Shabbos, she's just trying to get her husband to start singing already. Like, come on already. You're just walking in there. Like, yeah, food's getting cold. Let's, let's, yeah, good Shabbos. Let's yeah, go. Oh, are you talking in Shul? Come on already. So that, but, uh, but, uh, but in reality, so it's a big debate. So really, we just holding the Mishaburu that we hold that by Torah law because Marv isn't structured with whatever else is going on but Mishru does say that a person should go out of their way to, to have in mind when they dive in Marv that they are not uh, 
doing their deraisa obligation of Kiddush in order that even according to the Magen Avram, you haven't fulfilled your, your deraisa level of Kiddush, which means when you come home, you and your wife will be on equal playing fields, both be in the deraisa realm, and therefore you'll be able to fulfill your wife's obligation for Kiddush. That's the other option, but I guess the Mishabru didn't didn't, didn't uh, consider the possibility that such a thing would uh, would be going on. But yeah. She's, so she's not really. But the problem is she's not being mekadesh Shabbos. She's accepting Shabbos, but she's not she's not doing anything. She's not saying words to be mekadesh Shabbos. She she says the bracha. She lights the candles. So now it's Shabbos first. So now she would have to do something that would actively do it. Well, she might have in Oh, she have in Give Alvik. Fantastic. Then she's uh, she's at the same level as you. Yeah. But again, it's just. Uh, uh, yeah, hypothetically. Again, as we'll see in a second, we don't want that to happen. But hypothetically, yes, she could she could do that as well. She could do this. So, 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 hypothetically, she could be on say a man. Yes, okay. yes. As Gemara is about to say, autumn A person is cursed who, when their wife takes, a, we'll see that in a moment. The Gemara says that, a, that somebody is cursed if their wife fulfills their obligations for them. But yeah, hypothetically, if somebody wants to take the curse of the Gemara, knock yourself out. That's because she looks like a goose. Yeah. <laughs> No, Hamotzi is a whole different thing. No, no, no. Hamotzi, Hamotzi only. Also, while we're on the subject, it becomes. Mizumin is okay. Mizumin you could do as another thing, right? Uh, Frankie was mentioning today that in the new art scrolls, we're really going to go on a tangent. I'm going to have to hustle in a second. The new art scrolls, they took out the Gruz opinion of, uh, of what we mentioned yesterday about, about saying the Shema. So, so but there are other, uh, just, so he had asked me other sheets of the Gruz. So one of the other sheets of the Gruz, now that, now that you remind me, is that the Gruz holds that if three women sit together, they, they must, not that they can, they must make a Mizumin no different than if three men sit together. So it's just another, uh, another idea of the girl. I have a whole shear that um, that uh, that I talk about that. So there's a big I'm kind of getting lost. There's a big machogus in general over whether or not you say Baruch Shepetrani by a girl. We know that by a boy if your son has a bar mitzvah, you say Baruch Shepetrani and you're done. So by a girl usually the minig is not to say it. So it's unclear why that's true. It's unclear why the minig is not to say it. So the best reason that they bring is because why? when do we say Baruch Shepetrani? Well not. Not yet. I haven't I haven't been zochah to be able to say it yet. But when do you do it? You do it when your kid gets an aliyah. Why do you do it when your kid gets an aliyah of all times? Why? Because we're doing gomel anyways. We figure, listen, we have all the time in the world. We'll say the mishabayak for the country and this. And why not? Go say Baruch Shepetrani. The reason is, is because that's the first time they're doing something that you need to be 13 years old for. So because they're doing something that they are showing that they have now reached maturity, they've done it. So therefore we say Baruch Shepetrani. On a side note, I'm going to go all day on this. That's why if, you're, if, you, if your child gets mafter, let's say by a bar so they get mafter. It's not so clear that you could say Baruch Shepetrani because they could have gotten mafter before they were 13. So that didn't do anything. So you're supposed to do it by a regular aliyah. Great. So since our minig is not to give women aliyahs, it's the minig around here, I think in, all, in the shuls around here, we don't give women aliyahs. So now, when are we supposed to say Baruch Shepetrani? There's no time where a girl does something that she displays that, okay, now I have reached uh, the age of Bas Mitzvah. However, according to Shittas Hagra, it's not true. According to Shittas Hagra, the way you do it is very simple. You have, after she becomes Bas Mitzvah, you have her sit with two other women, and they eat some bread together, and then she leads benching because she is now, uh, she's now chayav in a Mizuman, and then knock herself out. You could say Baruch Shepetrani at that moment. It's not the minute, but I'm just saying you can do it. Also, you give a class at the Kodah, 11 o'clock on the Gros Mitzvah. We can go all day on that. All right. Yeah. Do you agree a woman could be Yotze man for Hamotzi? Could they? You could do whatever you want. Knock yourself out. I mean, I'm not. You definitely could. You definitely could. I'm not. It's it's whatever. You could. You could. Of course you could. Of course. You could.
Okay, says the Gemara. Now that we're been on this topic, Amalei Ravina. So Ravina says the Rava Nashim beBerachas Amazon Diaraisa Odurabanan. So women, when they bench, are they benching by Torah law or are they benching by rabbinic law? So Lamainafkimina, what's the difference if they're benching by Torah law or rabbinic law? Laafuki Rabbi Nechavaso. Remember, in the old days, the idea of a mezuman wasn't just a mezuman like what we do. Today, we do a mezuman just because. Uh, we don't know why we're doing a mezuman, but we do it because we, it's like uh, it's like the minig. But in reality, back then, in the old country, the reason why you did a mezuman is because the mezuman put everyone together, which allowed one person to bench for everybody else. That was the point of the mezuman. So now, if a woman is chayev by the standard, she has the same rule as a man in benching, so she'd be able to fulfill a man in benching. If she isn't, if she's only obligated by rabbinic standard, she can't fulfill a man in benching. I'll tell you another difference only because we're on this Gemara. There's another nafkamina. I spoke about it when I got engaged. Uh, I'll tell you the speech at a different time. But there's another nafkamina, which is, what would happen if on, if on Shabbos a woman is unsure she said say. So if, or if she's unsure she benched. So if she's obligated by Torah law to bench, so then if you're unsure it's a Safi Deiraisa Lechumri, you gotta go back. If you, if you're, if she's only uh, rabbinically obligated, so if it's a Safi Deirabanan, you'd be Lakula and she would not have to go back and bench. Or she would not have to go back and say, if she forgot, if she's unsure she got for it would say also she would be unsure okay now so but the Gemara's difference is so if you say she has a Risa obligation so so her Risa, her obligation she's able to fulfill the she's able to um to bench and her benching would be a diaraisa benching and therefore her benching which is a diaraisa benching would be able to fulfill others in their obligation to bench but if it's only rabbinic by Torah standard she's not obligated to bench and anybody who's not obligated to bench anybody who doesn't have an obligation they can't fulfill others with their obligation because they're not obligated if you're not obligated in something you can't fulfill other people their obligation so they're only obligated by rabbinic level, so by Torah level, they're not obligated, so they couldn't fulfill your obligation. So Tashma, we say as follows. This is the Gemara we're waiting for. Sorry, a son can make a bracha for his father. The Evan and a slave can make a bracha for his master. The and a woman can make a bracha for her husband. A person, a curse will befall upon a person. Whose wife and child makes a bracha for him. Now, so Gemara says, well, let's try to understand this. It says it works, just you get cursed. So, if you say that the woman is obligated by Torah standard, fantastic. So then it works. Her Deiraisa, right, since she's obligated by Torah law, can fulfill my obligation, which again is by Torah law, it works. Good, you're cursed, but at the very least we understand why it works. But if she's only obligated by rabbinic standard, could her rabbinic obligation fulfill my derais obligation? She can't do it. So, of course, wait a minute. In that same quotation, we said, we talked about a child, and we know a child for sure is not obligated by Torah law. So obviously in this, Bryce, there must be something going on here. So the Lord says, In that case, they're talking about where the man only ate a rabbinic amount, which we'll see in a moment what that is. They ate a rabbinic amount. They ate, you know, whatever, uh, you know, uh, le- they weren't satiated. They ate less than a kazai, less than a, uh, less, than a, less than a satiation. So therefore, since they only ate a rabbinic amount, Therefore, they were only obligated by 
rabbinic standard. And therefore, this woman or this child that's only obligated by rabbinic standard will mavik the rabbanan and is able to fulfill my obligation, even though it's true sometimes if I eat up to my fill, up to the gills. So then I'm, I'm obligated by Torah law to bench. However, here, because he didn't eat, he wasn't sovea, he wasn't satiated, he is only rabbinically obligated to bench, right? Because we know the obligation for benching comes from the words, uh, you should eat, you should be satiated, you should bench. So the Torah obligation of benching is only when you're satiated. So we're saying in this price, what happened was you were only, you didn't eat up to your satiation level, therefore you were only rabbinically obligated to bench. Since you're only rabbinically obligated to bench, therefore the child or the woman is able to fulfill your obligation because she also is only rabbinically obligated to bench. Says the Gemara, very famous Gemara, Darsha Bavira. Uh, says Bavira, Zimnin Amrle Mashmed Ravami, Zimnin Amrle Mashmed Ravasi, Amru Malachi Ashazne Akadish Baruchu. The angel said to God, Ribona Shalom, Tsukusar Zechat says, Asherlo Yisa, Panavlik Achshogat. You're not supposed to show favoritism. You're not supposed to take bribes. Yet you show favoritism to the Jewish people. Then it says that God will lift his face to you. He's showing favoritism. How could it be? So it says the Gomorrah, nah, come on. He says, uh, he says, I'm sorry, I skipped one. How could I not show favoritism? I write in my Torah, I write in the Torah that only you should eat and be satiated and then you should bench. But we are careful on ourselves. That even if we just have an egg's worth or an olive's worth, depending whose opinion we hold, like we already bench. So because we go out of our way to have this extra chumrah that Kodesh Baruch says, uh, only when you're satiated should you go ahead and eat. And they say, no, we're going to go a level beyond. We're going to eat. Uh, we're just, when we have a little bit, we're going to go ahead and eat. So God says, how can I not show, not show favoritism? There is a beautiful explanation. I have a minute, so I'll tell it to you now. Rav Schwab, in his Sefer Ma'ayan, based on Shoeva, Rav Schwab there talks about, well, why should that be? Just because, why is this a specific chumrah that we pick that all of a sudden says, oh, because we're extra machmer about benching, so that's why Hashem shows us favoritism. Why, why don't we say, well, because we, uh, I don't know, who knows? There's all these different chumras. So Rishwab writes, he, says, he quotes a Pesach in the Navi, and the Pesach in the Navi says that in the Yemosa Mashiach, in the times of Mashiach, a person is going to eat a kazais, just a kazais, and they're going to be filled. Even though nowadays, to be filled, you got to get all you can eat at Shalt. There's going to be a time in the Yemosa Mashiach that all we'll need is one kazais, just one olive's worth of bread, and we'll be satiated. So, so why are we? So therefore, he says, so why are we benching now when we only have a kazais? Because you say, even though today I'm not satiated, I know that there's going to be a time in the times of Mashiach where I will be satiated. So therefore, since I will be satiated in the the times of Mashiach, so therefore I'm acting today like it's like the times of Mashiach. So says Rav Shua, well, we also know that in the times of Mashiach, that's the one time where we'll be clear that, that, that Jewish people will be God's nation, will be chosen as God's nation, and there will be a clear favoritism at that point. So because we act in this world like it's like the times of Mashiach already, so God responds in kindness and says, guess what? If you're going to act like it's the times of Mashiach, then you're going to bench after Kazais or Kabetza, so I'm going to do the same thing. I'll act like it's the times of Mashiach, where I will show favoritism to Klaus. One of the six questions is you look forward to the Geula. So we're doing that action, right? That's how we do it. When we bench on the Kazai, we're to peace the Yeshua. All right, we'll stop over here. We'll pick up the Mishnah tomorrow morning. Uh, looking forward to seeing everyone then. Rabbi Hanan.